0: Prague is a city filled with hidden treasures, both ancient and modern. Behind me is the linen wall. It's a place where for decades, people from all over the world have come to express their thoughts and their ideas by painting them on the wall. It's filled with messages about freedom, messages about political ideas, messages about things that are important to people. Sometimes those messages are in conflict with one another. People are expressing Ideas on opposite sides of belief systems. And so when you look at the wall where it's filled with graffiti, sometimes the messages can be confusing, much like the messages that we hear around us as well. As followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that the message we send, both in what we say and what we do, is one that is clear, that penetrates through to the very heart of what Jesus has called us to be, and to do. Well, In the heart of Prague is a very interesting sculpture by, of Franz Kafka called Metamorphosis. It's a kinetic sculpture made by David Czerny, and it's an 11 meter high work of artistry that continually rotates until it forms the likeness of Kafka's face. And one of the marvels of this sculpture is that there is only one combination of the 42 moving plates that reveal the true picture of Kafka's face. You can see hints of it in some of the rotations, but there's only one combination that gives you the full picture. As I thought about that, I saw a distinct parallel to what it means to follow Jesus we are called to show an accurate picture of what Jesus is like in what we believe, in what we say, and in what we do. There are many opinions of what a Christian is. For some people, Christians are known by what they are against. Others, they're known by what they're for. Some see Christianity mostly as a moral ethic or a religious belief. The truth is, that there have been times when the church has done a poor job of showing Jesus to the people around us. We can be confusing. We can be a bit like the Kafka statue when it's not quite aligned properly. So, how does Jesus himself tell us to live? Well, Jesus answered this question in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. It says this Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus said that the way to put all the pieces together of what should define a person who places their faith in God, it comes down to this. Loving God with all that we are, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. In a culture deeply divided by rhetoric, political tribalism, and slogans that mean different things to different people, it can be challenging to know how we should respond to the events that are happening around us and to the people who are expressing their ideas. But Jesus actually made it fairly simple. If I could summarize what he says, it's simply this. Love matters. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's what we're going to explore in our face to face encounter with Jesus today. And so, if you have your Bible or a Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And in this face to face encounter, Jesus answers the question from an expert in biblical law about who is our neighbor. It's a very important question. And Jesus' answer should shape how we live. And how we respond to others. Because the only way that people around us will see an accurate picture of Jesus is if those who claim to follow him love him and love others like he loves them. So let's listen to Luke chapter 10 from the Luma Project, and then we'll explore this passage together.
1: On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Jesus' encounter
0: here in Luke chapter 10 is with an expert in biblical law. This man had studied extensively. He would have had large portions of the scriptures memorized. His answer to Jesus' question about what the law says reveals his intellectual understanding. The Ten Commandments can easily be divided into a vertical and a horizontal expression of obedience. The first four commandments center on our relationship with God. They are vertical. The last six focus in on our relationship with others. They are horizontal. And they are both measured by love. Jesus is asked by this lawyer, this expert in the law, what he must do to inherit eternal life. Eternal life... Jesus tells us in John chapter 17 is knowing God the Father through faith in Jesus the Son. The expert in the law is coming from a position where, of self-righteousness, where he's seeking to justify himself and his own actions. He's not coming humbly seeking Jesus and what he really has to say, but rather to make sure that Jesus affirms his own belief about himself. But Jesus goes right to the heart in his answer to the lawyer. He says, in essence, that love is the evidence of real faith. It's the proof of true obedience. Without love, we're just making noise. That's what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The expert in the law was very likely a moral person. His character would have been beyond dispute. On the outside, he probably looked good to everyone around him but his heart held a very dark issue. It held pride. In essence, Jesus says here that the love you claim to have for God will be revealed in how you show love to your neighbor. It's easy to say that we love God, but it takes God working in us for us to be able to love others as he loves them and as he loves us. Jesus tells us we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. The passage tells us that the lawyer was trying to justify himself. He he didn't want to be caught in Jesus' question. So he asks, Who is my neighbor? How often is that us? How often do we seek first to justify ourselves and our position and our belief system rather than to listen to others and to love them as God does? Genuine love for God is difficult for others to see. But love for people can be verified by our actions or our lack of them. That's why Paul said in Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a critical issue. This is the message amongst all the confusing messages that we have out there in the world, that we, as followers of Jesus, need to make sure we get right. So the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? He's trying to narrow down his responsibility. You see, the common thought of the day was that this verse, that where it comes from in Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, really only applied to fellow Jews. And mostly, it would be narrowed down even more narrowly to meant it only really applied to those who thought and acted like you did. The priests, the Levites, the scribes, and the Pharisees formed a religious tribe. They had a similar ideology, a similar practice, and they considered themselves one another's neighbor. Anyone not in their tribe could not possibly be their neighbor, could they? Some years ago, a reporter named Hugh Rudd was mugged outside of his apartment in New York City. He was beaten, bruised, his eyes were blackened, his hair was matted with blood, his teeth were chipped, and he lay in the doorstep of that apartment complex from 2.30 in the morning until well after dawn. Many people walked past him into the building. Rudd was conscious, but unable to move, and he could only mumble and moan. But no one stopped, even to see what was wrong. No one checked on him until many hours later. That story, unfortunately, takes place far too often. That there are people who are wounded, who are hurting all around us. Maybe not physically. Maybe it's more emotional pain. But they're hurting just as much. And God is telling us we need to be like the Good Samaritan in Jesus' story. We need to be the ones who love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, as we look at that story, we see that what happened to Hugh Rudd is what happened in the story. But it was even worse because the very people, the people from this man's, a Jewish man's own tribe, who should have stopped, did not choose to do so. Instead, they went by on the other side. First, we're told that a priest walks by. The area that is described here by Jesus is near Jericho. And it was an area where many priests who served in the temple would have lived. And so this priest likely was either returning from or going to perform his holy duty to God at the temple. He likely thought that the man was dead or would die. And that would make the priest ceremonially unclean and unable to fulfill his religious duties. So he chose to ignore him and pass by on the far side of the road. He was too pure to actually get dirty and help. Well, next we see that the next person to come along in Jesus' story is a Levite. He passes by as well. He too likely worked at the temple in a different role, the text indicates that this man got a little closer. He may have actually come up a little closer to see who the man was there laying on the ground. But after getting close, he too walked across the road and left without saying a word. Now to those gathered listening to Jesus, they likely thought, we know where he's going. These two officials did not treat the man as a neighbor and love him. But surely the next character, the next person that Jesus talks about will be an ordinary Jew, a man of the people, and he'll stop by and serve. He'll become the hero of this story. The story would, if that's how Jesus told it, the story would be a slap to the establishment, but everyone would applaud how the ordinary guy showed up, the professional clergy. No one expected Jesus to finish the story with a Samaritan. Not even the disciples. Look at what happened just a chapter before with James and John concerning the Samaritans. You see, this message that Jesus has given isn't just to the expert in the law who's asking the question. Or even to the religious leaders that are gathered there listening. It's a message to his followers for them and for us to understand who our neighbor truly is. Look at it here in Luke chapter 9, verses 52 through 56. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, did not receive Jesus, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell or command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. The attitude of James and John was one of judgment. You see, Jews despise Samaritans and vice versa. But Jesus rebukes James and John. He's trying to tell them, That's not the way to respond, even to those you see as your enemy. How often are we quick to judge those who do not receive Jesus? Did you notice, though, why the Samaritans in this case rejected Jesus? It was because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. For the Samaritans, they saw heading towards Jerusalem as turning away from them, as choosing to take sides with the Jews. And so the Samaritans in this case could not overcome their own prejudice either because they hated the Jews. The Jews had persecuted them. They'd burned their temple. And for 400 years, there had been racial tension between these two groups. In fact, it was so Uh, difficult, it was so heated in the tension between them, that Jews would not eat bread baked by a Samaritan. And who does Jesus make the hero of the story? A story about a wounded Jewish man? He makes the hero a Samaritan. Who did Jesus command us to love? Well, Jesus answered this exact question here in this parable. He commands us to love our neighbor as ourself. The Samaritan showed us what that love is to look like. He acted out of love, out of concern for a man he did not know, and for one that if he had been able, would likely have cursed him rather than accept help from him. But the man was too wounded to help himself. The Samaritan, it tells us in the story, bound up the man's wounds, He used the first aid of the day to care for his physical needs. Then the Samaritan put the wounded man on his own donkey and took him to a place where he would be cared for. In Jesus' story, the Samaritan goes farther. He stopped his own plans, his own journey, his own agenda, and he took the time to help a man he did not know, a man who was radically different than himself. Then the Samaritan man paid to house and feed the wounded man. He paid enough money for the man to be cared for and fed for three weeks and promised to bring more when he returned to cover any additional expenses. You see, he went to great extremes to love his neighbor as himself. So Jesus asked that critical question. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 10, verses 36 through 37. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the lawyer responded, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The one who showed mercy, he alone Truly loved his neighbor. Now let's apply that to our day. Are we showing mercy to those who are not like us, who think differently, whose beliefs and convictions are different than our own? Jesus said to the lawyer and to his disciples, and he's speaking to us Go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show mercy to those who are not like you. So who is our neighbor? Remember, Jesus is specifically answering that question. And so the details that he uses in the story should tell us the scope of who we are to consider to be our neighbor, who we are to go out of our way, to put aside our agenda to go and love as ourselves. Certainly, our neighbor includes those who are like us. But Jesus clearly tells us that it must also include those who are radically different from us. So think about it. According to Jesus' story, the neighbor that we are to love, first of all, is racially different. Jews and Samaritans were of different races. In fact, that was a great deal of the tension between them. And so our neighbor, if we're to apply that to us, are those who come from a different race. Secondly, the Samaritan and the Jews were politically different. They had a very different sense and idea about what was right and wrong in government. What about for us? Do we love those who think politically different than us? Whose ideas, whose convictions are different? Do we love them? Now notice, Jesus doesn't tell us that we have to agree with them. But we are to love them. Thirdly, if we apply this to our day, we see that the Samaritans and the Jews were not only racially different, politically different, they were culturally different as well. They came from very different backgrounds. And yet, love meant that we go beyond that barrier, beyond that border, and minister to those in need. Fourthly, the Samaritan and the Jew were religiously different. Think about that for a moment. How often are we quick to judge those whose belief system is different than ours? Yes, we firmly believe that they're missing out on truth, that they do not yet see who Jesus is. But how are they ever going to know an accurate picture of Jesus unless we present Jesus in the way he commanded us to do, unless we show others what love is so that they can see Jesus in us and through us. The way for us to be able to speak truth into the hearts and lives of those who are different from us, politically, culturally, religiously, is to show them the love of Christ, to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, all these things were different between a Jew and a Samaritan. And they apply to us as well. We are to go beyond our comfort zone, go beyond our tribe, and make sure that we're loving those whose worldview is different than our own, whose experiences are different than our own. And we're to remember the value that they have in God's eyes. They are made in the image of God. That's the reason we're to care about them. Because God loves them. And they are more important than social, political, cultural, or even religious alignment when it comes to our responsibility to show them God's love in a practical way. How did Jesus command us to love? The follower of Jesus is to cross each of those barriers and to sacrificially care for their neighbor, not to pass by on the other side, Not to just post on social media how bad others are. Not to maintain distance so that others of our own tribe will not judge us. Because that's the reason why the priest passed by on the other side. He didn't want to fall under the conviction of others judging him because he'd become unclean. Also, we're not to limit ourselves by being inconvenienced. The Samaritan went out of his way. He stopped what he was doing. And he sacrificially gave of his time and his resources to show love towards the man who was wounded. Jesus' command to us is to go and do likewise, to serve their needs. We are commanded to, uh, to love others as God has loved us. And how did Jesus love us? Well, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10 shows us that while we were sinners... Why we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. You see, in God's economy, love matters. Love is sacrificial. Love is inconvenient. Love is costly. Love is cross-cultural. Love listens. Love goes. Love does. Love is what matters. So we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing? Are we listening to the confusing messages of the world and trying to choose sides? Or are we choosing to rightly show others who Jesus is by first and foremost loving our neighbors, even those who are different than us, as ourselves? What it is that proclaims that we truly are followers of Jesus? Jesus said, By this we'll all know that you are my followers, if you have love One for another. Let me give you one more reason why this is so important, and it's the message that our world desperately needs to hear today. You see, when we love those who are not like us, who come from different races, different cultures, different backgrounds, when we love them as Christ loves them, it gives them an opportunity to discover and have a relationship with God for themselves, and it brings glory to the Lord. But there's one more step to it, one more aspect that's really important about that glory. I want you to look at a verse here in closing that has come to mean so much to me. Revelation chapter 5. In this passage, it tells us what ultimately brings the greatest amount of honor to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus the Lamb is portrayed in Revelation chapter 5 as being the only one who could open the scroll that fulfills God's plan of redemption, of his plan of restoration for bringing back those who have been broken by sin and the world, his creation, that had been captured by sin. He says the only one who is worthy to open the scroll and complete that plan of redemption is the lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ. And why does it say he is worthy? Well, look what it says in Revelation 5, verses 8 through 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And here's why you're worthy. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. This passage tells us that the reason Jesus is proclaimed worthy is yes, because he died for us, yes, because he obeyed the Father's will and willingly became a sacrifice for you and I, to buy us back from our sin. But it wasn't just you and me. He died for every person, for every people group, for every tribe, for every nation on the face of the earth. What is more, is what proclaims his worth, is not only did he save them, but he's made them into a kingdom. He's united them together as one people, as the bride of Christ. And he's made them into priests, A priest intercedes for one another. They stand in the gap for one another. You see, when people from many different nations, tribes, cultures, and tongues, and backgrounds come together in Jesus Christ, it shows that there really is hope for our world, a world that is broken by racism, by prejudice, that the one thing that brings people together from every tribe, The one thing that brings people who by nature are enemies together is Jesus Christ. The real message of reconciliation comes when people see an accurate picture of Jesus Christ through the love of his people. That's why this is so important. And church, I want to encourage you. We have been so blessed as an international church. We have people from over 40 different nations, cultures, cultures, and backgrounds. Nearly every race is represented as part of our congregation. People who nations would often be opposed to one another come together as one in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty that proclaims the greatness of Jesus Christ that the people around us need to see. So we need to keep on loving one another. Keep on loving those who are different from us so that others may see who Jesus really is. see, that's why love matters. It brings hope to a world that is broken. It brings clarity amongst confusing messages so that people can see who Jesus really is, because His love is what matters. He willingly gave His life for people from every tribe, every tongue, every race, every nation, and he longs to bring them into a relationship with him through faith in what he did on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he longs to unite them together with other believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation and make us one, make us a kingdom, citizens of heaven, together from every tribe, tongue, and nation. When that happens... It proclaims the ultimate worth of Jesus Christ, that he truly is worthy to open the scroll and complete all God has planned in rescuing our world from sin. It's the most important message. We need to make sure, amongst all the other things that we believe, all the things that we hold valuable, we need to make sure that that is the message that is most clearly seen through our lives in what we say, and in what we do. His love matters. Heavenly Father, would you help us learn to love one another as you love us? Would you help us to truly learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, to follow your example, to follow the example, Jesus, that you told us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, to love those who are different from us, who think differently, whose culture, whose background, whose race is different. Lord, help us to see them with your eyes and to love them accurately so they may see a picture of who you truly are and that they themselves may come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Church, thank you. God bless you. I hope you have an amazing, amazing day. Next week, We gather together at Perutkava. We're so excited to finally be together. So we'll see you next week in person. God bless you. Have a great day.